0: On Maroon and Bold, we discuss Central Michigan football's 42 to 16 win over eastern Michigan. If it's a turning point for the program, and what's next for Jim McElwain and the Chippewas. Welcome back everyone to another week of Maroon and Bold. I'm your sports editor, Evan Putzold, along with me Austin Chastain, the assistant sports editor, Austin. Playoff baseball, man. How do you feel about your Cubs right now? Not great, man. They're not even. They're not even in the show. I
1: don't have a dog in the hunt, but, um, but no, you know that playoff baseball, man. It's it's exciting. And if you want to hear more about playoff baseball, listen to this week's episode of
0: Unsportsmanlike Conduct coming out later this week. I thought you were gonna gonna bite on that one a little bit more. I thought that that joke about the Cubs was gonna get to you, get under your skin a little bit. Not today. Not today. All right. Not today, he says. I tried so anyway but um but really though you know kind of the reason that we're here obviously talking about you know central michigan sports and, and the big focus right now on the football team you know especially when you are coming off a loss to western michigan 31 15 and then and then you come back home and you play eastern michigan and you win 42 16 i mean wow like that the performance was was great i mean that's everything that you really could ask for if you're a fan of cmu when you look at it from a statistical standpoint when you look at it from the fact that you know they're a program that is rebuilding, and they needed to have a statement win like that. And, and to this point, they really hadn't had a statement win. Uh, I, I would say Albany in that Week One game that they were able to get that was kind of like a, you know, there's a lot of Week One jitters, and you know, there's it, not, not everything's going to go perfect in Week One. And then I think Akron, just the fact that they're such a bad team, 0 um, five on the season and 0 one in conference right now they they're so bad that it's almost like well yeah you're going to go out there and win by you're going to go out there and win by 20 some like that's what's expected of you against a team like Akron because i mean really they're just that bad i get it that's a step up from last year which is good but against eastern there was a big question of like all right well how is this team going to play against a competent opposing football team an opposing football team that can actually actually play ball and for them to go out and win 42 to 16 I mean that that was very impressive to me. They improved a three and three overall and two and one in the Mid American Conference. Uh, you know, listen in the conference points for one hundred and two points again seventy one. They're they're putting up the points that they need. They're slowing you know opposing offenses down. And what are your takeaways, man? I mean, what is what is that? What did that win show you? And what does it mean going forward? Well, first of all, I I'll just I'll just say it.
1: I I, I think I speak for you here, but I was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um. Last week, we both were. Yeah, we 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 both were. uh, You know, saying EMU uh, was going to come in here, come in here to Mount Pleasant and and win that game. But I think I I was expecting a little bit more of a competitive game. But just seeing how I guess explosive the CMU offense finally was, you finally saw those big explosive plays. Kind of like kind of what Jim McElhin was talking about in the press conference. He. Was they were finally able to get those big plays, those big explosive plays, really turn the momentum? I guess not really turn it, but really keep the momentum going uh, throughout the entire game, and
0: just a dominant performance. If you're a fan of CMU, you'd love to see it. Yeah, if you know if there was you know significant college fantasy football leagues, you would have loved to have you would have loved to have Jonathan Ward on your squad. I mean that you know he had a three yard run to start the game to put the Chippewas up seven nothing. You know that was just three minutes into the game, and and then he did it again um, a couple more times. Actually, he had a reception from David Moore go for 64 yards at the end of the, or excuse me, at the beginning of the second quarter, um, and then then at the end of the the third quarter, he went off and, and decided to go for 86 yards on the ground and scored a touchdown there too. So three touchdowns. You know one you know through the air as a, as a receiver, and then the other two on the ground. And I really like what they did in the second quarter too. I mean, you take a team that, you know, yeah, Ward punches it punches it in to start, and then Eastern responds with a field goal late in that first quarter. They opened it up and and they, you know, they hit Khalil Pimpleton for an eighty yard touchdown, and that was a a beautiful place pass from David Moore, gave his receiver, you know, the ability to catch, turn, and just run and and go. And we, we saw that from you know we saw that from Pimpleton. He did a good job of beating his defender and creating space, and that's kind of what the offense is supposed to be, and that's what it was expected to be. But I like that you know they they turn the ball over, and let me remind you that play from Pimpleton that was the first play of that drive. They throw a bomb to Pimpleton and, and he goes deep. Then they get a turnover, and then the second play of the next drive, Ward goes for for 64, and it's the 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 speed of the offense, the the ability to flip that switch and have it be okay. First play, 80 yard touchdown run. We get the ball back. Second play, 64 yard touchdown pass. I mean, what what more could you want? I don't think you need anything
1: else. I mean, I was I was gonna ask you, but I was talking with a couple of guys after the game. Like that I think was one of the more most important sequences of of the mm-hmm. season. Um, I mean, you get the turnover, you get the long touchdown, you get the you get a quick three and out. It which, proves it's not a fluke. It right. proves it's well, not a fluke. And on the on that second on that, on that three and out, that quick three and out, Pimpleton actually muffed the punt. Remember? Mm, yep. And he was able to recover it. Ward ran for ten yards and then booked it for sixty four. On that pass for more. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm saying that, that might be one of the most important
0: sequences for this offense. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that? No, I mean I agree. I, I think, like I said before, the, the ability to score immediately and to score quick is something that Central Michigan hasn't had in a long time. Honestly, I mean. You had it with Shane Morris a little bit, but nothing like I saw it. You know, in the second quarter against Eastern Michigan. I mean, and I know Shane Morris was a good quarterback. He put up numbers, and they did have some big plays. You know, exhibit A being Cordy Willis against uh, against Western Michigan. But the fact that they were able to do that the way that they did with those two big plays, you know, going for that long too. I mean, you have an 80 yard and a 64 yard. That that kind of just blows me away. As all right, yeah, this you know they're, they're legit. They're gonna they're gonna do this. This is gonna be the offense. And then, you know, but then again, you look at the beginning of the third quarter and they really, they really grinded down the clock. They took five Oh five off and it was an 11 play 64 yard drive. And it was capped off by a 28 yard run by Kobe Lewis. And I think that also shows that, you know, you don't, you can score in multiple ways. It's it's not only being able to score, you know, on quick plays, but it's being able to score in multiple different ways. And the fact that they can do that, I, I think was a positive, but yeah, I mean, there was really no time in the game where it felt like Central Michigan was was out of reach in this one or, or even was posed a threat. Um, and the coming into the game, I mean, Eastern was supposed to win. They they were projected to to win, by I think the line when the game started was like four?
1: I think it was six. Six? Uh, either I mean, either way, you're arguing about two points.
0: Yeah, but no, I mean, nonetheless, they were the favorite and they were supposed to win. And, you know, CMU out gains you in total yardage, 587 to 285. And turnovers, um, you know, the turnover turnover battle, the chip blast turned it over twice, and, and Eastern only turned it over once. But the the fact of the matter on that is Eastern Michigan was never able to capitalize on those turnovers. Um, Mike Glass was a guy that was expected to come and make some noise and and you know be a dominant threat, and he had a rushing touchdown. But, you know, besides that, through the air, he was, you know, 19 to 33 for 139 yards, a touchdown and an interception, you know, using his arm. I thought they did a good job of containing him and getting to him early and making him uncomfortable, taking away his run game. And, and the one touchdown that he did have, um, it was a, you know, it was a one yard run. It was a you know, quarterback sneak, just try to punch it in. It's not like he was running wild. And I think they did a really good job of taking his run game away. Um, a lot of credit goes to the defensive line there. I guess, what were some of your other takeaways, man? Like what did you kind of see as the game went on that you think might bode well for, for CMU in the future or something they need to work on?
1: Uh, one thing one thing I saw was the offensive line uh gave David Moore fantastic protection. Uh it Moore wasn't sacked once in that game. Um you know, like I think we actually talked about it during the game. Um it's just how smooth the whole operation looked. I mean there there was one play I I couldn't tell you exactly which play it was. I'm pretty sure it was a completion. Um where Moore just kind of stood in the pocket and it looked like he had all the time in the world to throw and that mm-hmm. if you're CMU that's exactly what you want um, as you really get your
0: max schedule underway yeah i thought Jacory Sullivan looked really good you know they opened the they opened the game up and one other thing really quick before i jump into Jacory Sullivan don't let me forget but um but man i do like the way that central michigan you know they won the coin toss and decided to take the ball right away and they they wanted to to do that and pound it down Eastern Michigan's throat, and now this is where Jacory Sullivan comes into play. I want to say it was the first first play of the game. It was, and you know Jacory Sullivan's on the far, what the far left side of uh, the far left side of the field, and he's lined up and he breaks downfield, and it's just a, I mean he was just running straight on, was he? I mean there there really wasn't a there wasn't a specific move that he put on. I think he was just out beating, you know, he was just outrunning his opponent, and and he was outrunning the cornerback. And the throw comes up from, from David Moore, and, and you see Ja'Cory Sullivan's just, like, being dragged to the ground. And, you know, Corners got a hold of his jersey kind of by – kind of like if you take his abdomen and move it over to the right, kind of like his hip area-ish, you know, was pulling on the jersey there. And you saw the jersey kind of strain out, and he was able to catch it with his left hand and, and pull the ball in. And, I mean, that was by the time that he was already midway through the air going down while a guy was actually pulling his jersey towards the ground – and so I saw that play, and I was like, "Wow, okay." So what 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 else can Jakory Sullivan feature for the chip Wilds this year? And, and yeah, he had you know he had four receptions for 76 yards, and you know he was second to Pimpleton in the in the receptions category. But I mean, if you can get Jakory Sullivan playing like that week in and week out, and he seems like he's been given an expanded role, you know, as each week has gone on, I mean, that's the thing that they that CMU's needed, and especially the fact that you know Tyrone Scott hasn't been you know, getting as many looks as at least he did in the first game. And that's a little bit concerning to me, but I guess you kind of just got to gotta pick the guys that you throw to. But, yeah, I mean, you, you take a guy like Sullivan, and, and I guess how big could he be, do you think, for this offense, knowing that you can have a speedy receiver like Pimpleton, you can have an athletic receiver like Tyrone Scott, you can have a big tight end in Tony Poljan, and then you can take Ja'Cory Sullivan, and you can kind of make him more of the um, – more of the aggressor if that if that makes sense he's more of the aggressive type of a receiver that's gonna you know make plays in tough situations if that if that makes sense
1: yeah no totally uh, I mean that well you just described it with that with that catch on the sideline um it ended up being a pass interference flag on, of yeah, course. on the defense on the defense yes. I mean and he, he he snagged that thing snared it in with the left hand um and that the the other play right before that um that I think it was a thirty-seven yard catch yeah. over the middle. You kind of just jumped up and just and like you said, it, it was an aggressive play. Just kind of went up and snagged it. And I mean, he having having a strong receiving core with you know with Pimpleton
0: with with Sullivan mm-hmm. Scott and Poljan and all the guys you just mentioned. And then you got Jonathan Ward that you can use out of the backfield and dump it off to him. And I mean, look exactly. what he did, right? And I mean, I think there's a lot of versatility there. Guys that can that can catch the ball, but. One of the biggest questions coming up is who is going to be passing the ball to those guys that are catching the football? You winced. I did. It's a, it's a tough one. So Jim McElwain on Monday said, when, when asked about, you know, this status of David Moore's starting quarterback job due to Quinn Dormley's return from injury, he was asked about it and said, you know, yeah, he, he was asked, you know, so is, is – David Moore gonna be the guy going forward because Quentin Dormady's finally back from that knee injury and he's gonna be you know he's gonna be healthy full go, and McElwain said that'll be determined as we go. Um, in the meantime, it's good to have your guys healthy, and that was in reference to who would start the October 12th game against New Mexico State. What's your take here? Who do you who do you start? Man. You got to stick with David Moore. That's what that's, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean you you I mean you got to go with the hot hand you have got to I mean play Devils advocate right now. Let's go. You play Devils advocate. So, you're for you're going to be for Quentin Darmody and I'm going to be for David Moore. So, I'm arguing for David Moore to start and you're going to try to tell me why I'm wrong. I okay. wanna, I want to see how this goes. All right. Because I can only imagine this is how conversations might occur with CMU fans out there, right? Sure. Go for it. We can't agree on the same thing. So, let's you you, you act like it, all right? All right. Oh, all right. Sure. So, I'm saying that David Moore needs to be the starter because of the fact that he still has another year of eligibility left, and Dormady's career is over after the 2019 season. So there's no reason why Dormady should should be put back in the game. How do you defend that? Well, Dor- I mean, Dormady has all the experience in the world.
1: I mean, he, he started, I can't remember exactly how many, but he started in the SEC with Tennessee. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's played some of these big road games. I mean, you look at the, I want to say the 20. 20- Seventeen game against Florida. I mean, he he held tough. I mean, he he put the Volunteers right in position. And if it weren't for Felipe Franks and Tyree Cleveland, Tennessee would win would most likely win that game. I know it was tied at that point, but he threw some interceptions in that game. He didn't did. He? he did. But even even the I don't know. I think the experience that Dormady has says leave him or
0: put him in as a starter. But what about the way that? But I mean, you have to look at the fact too, though. The way that David Moore has been playing. I mean, how can you how can you justify not not letting him continue to go? Come on, keep trying. It it this is interesting. How how do you justify taking a guy like him out of the game and, and out of his position as the starter? If you know, you know he's your guy and he's he's won you two games and he's lost you two games since he took over as a starter, but. He's won you two games, and that's the that's the biggest point of that matter. And looking at last year in 2018, you know the combination of Tony Poljan, Tommy Lazaro, and Austin Harrogate—they only delivered on one win. So, how do you justify pulling a guy that's winning games for you for the unknown factor? Well, I don't know if it's an unknown factor because Stormity won the job in fall
1: camp. So, I, I don't know. I I I think. Um, Keeping, putting Dormady back in because he won the starting job, there's a reason that he did. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily like the best quarterback to ever come through here. And, and I'm not saying the same thing about David Moore either. But the just the, the lone fact that Quentin Dormady won the starting job in the fall says, that's it's, it's Jim McElwain saying, this is our guy. Yeah, David, you did an amazing job in relief, but it's time for Quentin to come
0: back and take his role back. But it's not the same as what happened with Jonathan Ward, where Ward is clearly the best running back on the roster. And when he was out, Lou Nichols did great. I mean, excuse me, excuse me, Kobe Lewis did great and he, he looked outstanding. And then Jonathan Ward comes back and he's automatically running back number one. That's is it a, really the same as that situation? No, it's because that's an entirely different position.
1: Because with the running back, you can cycle guys through. I mean, CMU's got three,
0: arguably four guys that can cycle through, mm-hmm. and and so is David Moore just part of a cycle in your opinion? Since you think that Dormady going to come and, and start and take his job? No, 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 no. I mean, we've we've talked about it, and
1: you you've shut me you shut me down pretty well. Um, a two quarterback system, which obviously you with a younger team, you we might can not be able to too. do. Let's go right now. Oh my gosh, you're just killing me over here, small. If you okay. want or no,
0: sure, why not? Let's go for it. Let's go. Just for real it. quick, I want to hear why you think that we should have uh, or that that Central Michigan should have a, you know, two quarterback type of an offense.
1: Well, two quarterbacks. I mean, you have two. I would say similar yet different styles. Because I mean, Quint- Dormidy is the guy that stays in the pocket. Doesn't move around very much. He can. He has the ability to, but he's the guy that stays in the pocket and he he can sling it. Whereas, and David Moore, he can he he can sling it too. He can sling it too. You're you're wincing at me now. I would say they're the exact same quarterback. Bro. I don't think there's any difference.
0: But that's my opinion. I, th-
1: I think I think Moore can run it a little bit better. We saw it, um there were a couple there's in fact I think there was even one quarterback designed run mm-hmm. that I saw yep. that was. I mean, and it went for, I think, six or seven yep. yards.
0: You're right. And that's huge. And I don't, I don't know if you could run that play with Dormady. And this is also very true. I think, there, I think if there's, yeah, granted, I think, I think David Moore is a better runner, but I think they both are pass-first quarterbacks, heavy pass-first quarterbacks. So in that regard, I don't think it changes too much. And this is my issue, man. Like, you remember back last year when Eastern Michigan, they had Mike Glass the third, and they had, what was his name, Tyler Wiegerts? The kid from Iowa yeah. that transferred over, and he was a pro style, and then obviously obviously dual threat with Mike Glass does both. And that, that two-quarterback system worked. I almost worry that they're too similar for it to work because you know what you're getting every single time. It's not like there's two different guys. Now, what maybe we will see, which wouldn't shock me, is if they use two quarterbacks in a game but not like rotating in terms of one play you're on, the next play is going to be this guy, then this guy goes for three plays and then now we're going to switch back over to this guy for two more. I think it might be more of a first half, second half split. Is that possible? Oh, yeah. Just to give him game action to see who's going to perform better in game action because you don't want to That's my thing too. Cuz I think we can maybe we can I think we can both agree on this. I don't think you want to shut down a guy like David Moore too quickly, but you also don't want to shut down Quentin Dormady too easily because if something happens to David Moore, Dormady's gonna have to be ready to go. He's gonna have to be like 100 on his game. And if you mentally block him out, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not doubting the mental capabilities of Quentin of Quentin Dormady, but I'm just saying, if you kind of put a block on him and say, all right, yeah, you're you're gonna be the backup for the rest of the season, does that affect the way that that he acts and or he plays when he comes in? Does that does that change things knowing that his his career, his college career, is over because he's not going to get a chance to play as a backup. Does that question make sense or no? I I think it does. Um, I mean, there is. Def- does that do anything from the mental standpoint? I guess to either guy, no matter what you say, do you really ever win if you're Jim McElwain? I don't think you do because you'll have people, you'll have
1: naysayers saying, "Man, you have to stick with David Moore mm-hmm. because he's he's won, he's produced, he's, he's produced, he's won, all that." But then there's other people that say you need to go with Quentin because he's that tried-and-true quarterback who you, you you brought in. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you brought in David Moore too, but you brought in from really the SEC who has proven that he can go out and win and that has done it. Um, so putting, the I guess, the older guy with Dormady as the backup – you don't want to completely, like you said, completely shut him out. Give him some game action, um, but I think you need to start David Moore and kind of roll with the punches. See, see what see what the game brings. And I I think this this upcoming game, which we'll get to in a little bit, with New Mexico State, New Mexico State. I'm Perfect sorry. opportunity. It's a great opportunity to do it because New Mexico State is not very good. In mm-hmm. fact, I think I saw that they are the worst in the country, so this is a great chance to experiment with that before you roll into your the rest of your mac schedule
0: yeah they are um they are not a very good football team, New Mexico State, but that bodes well for the Chippewas, knowing that you have stolen a win from Eastern Michigan, a game that you were not supposed to win, you have swiped it, and you are three and three and you have two of the easiest games that will probably ever be on your schedule that are Division I games coming up. Like I don't know if Central Michigan's ever had back-to-back games against teams that are this bad in a long, 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 long time. Right now, Akron, statistically speaking, is the worst football team in college football. Statistically speaking, they are 130 of 130. Central Michigan beat them earlier this year. Um, as as we all know, 45-24. Again, Akron, worst team in college football. The second worst team is New Mexico State, 0-6. And that's who Central Michigan plays this upcoming weekend. Now the following game is against Bowling Green, who is the 127th worst team out of 130 teams. So you're, you got the 129th best team of 130 and then 127 of 130 coming up.
1: Just curious. Oh, yeah. Just curious who's 128. I'm just curious. UMass.
0: Okay. Yeah. Ooh, former Mac
1: school. How about that.
0: Yeah, UMass is in there. Um So yeah, and then listen, and then a couple and then listen, it, it, folks, I'm really not I'm I'm really not feeding this bullshit to you guys. Um and then later on in the season, right before CMU plays Toledo at home to cap off the season, they're going to play Ball State. Ball State is 117 of 130. So that's a game that We'll see, but they did. You know they did beat Northern Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. I was just going to say check Northern Illinois because I think I saw that they were Northern Illinois is 121. I was going to say they're in the 120s. Yeah, so they're 121. That was a good catch, by the way. Thanks. So they're 120. Buffalo somewhere around the 100 mark. And just so you guys all know, the Chippewas 89th, 89 in the athletic 130s. Yep, that right. Yep. And so kind of the point of the ma- the fact of the matter is here is you have New Mexico State, Bowling Green, Northern Illinois, all in the 120s. You have Ball State at, what, 117, I said? Buffalo's around 100. Those are all winnable games, man. I mean, if you're looking at it from the statistics and from the analytics, yes, those are all very, very winnable games for the Chippewas. Again, these next two games are going to be cupcakes. They should be earlier in the season. Maybe not, but now that we've seen what they can do, yeah, they, there's no doubt they should win those games, and then you have to go on the road to play Buffalo, and you get to come home against Northern Illinois, and then Ball State, and then you know Toledo could be essentially. And here's the other thing too, by the way, if I mean if Central does what they're supposed to do and they they get the job done against these teams, and let's just say Western Michigan somehow some way loses one more game, so if Western ends up with two conference losses because they already lost to Toledo, that could end up could and, and I'll have a column on this, you know. I'm going to write it. I'm going I'll have it, I'll have it up soon. Uh unless it's you know if it's not already up. But listen. They could be playing for the Mac West Division title against Toledo because of the way that their schedule shakes out and because of the teams that they're playing. Like it's not out of the realm. I'm not I mean no. it's not it's not impossible. It's really not. All Western Michigan has to do, Western needs to lose one more game and Central Michigan needs to win out. Which is which? very you, you feasible. Heard, you heard the numbers. It's possible. I'm not it's, saying it's going to happen. Really it's really possible. It's it's possible. Don't jump the gun too quick on that. I'm not. I'm not. But it's possible. But it's possible. Because you beat... Ball State's not going to win out. Not a, not a chance. Central's going to slot up above that. And all you got to do is have Western lose one more game. And you're set. What is... What, it, because I don't have my computer in front of me. But what does the West, rest of Western's schedule look like? Yeah, so yeah, so obviously they played Toledo and they lost uh 31 to 24. That and that was a good game going down the down the stretch, but they have Miami of Ohio at home, then they have on the road against Eastern Michigan, and then they have against Bowling Green at home, and then this is where it kind of gets a little interesting. Then they have Ball State at home, that should be a win. The one game that they could end up losing. At Ohio, on the road, second to last game of the year. And that's a game where I think that that Ohio might be able to win that one. Ohio, you know, a team with a veteran quarterback and a dynamic offense. And they were picked. I mean, they were picked to win the mid-American conference this year. They were picked to win the title. And, you know, they beat Rhode Island to start the season. They lost on the road to Pitt by 10. They lost to Marshall on the road by two. And um, they lost to Um, you know, they lost to ULL on the road. What is it? What is ULL? What is that? Louisiana? Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. Lost to them. Um, and then bounced back with a one point win over Buffalo. So even Ohio is a little bit up in the air, but again, it's the mid American conference. So like upsets happen all the time. There's always teams that like somehow will randomly win a game or two that they're not supposed to win except for the Chippewas in 2018. They never did that. But, (laughs) but yeah, so I mean the way that Western's, you know, schedule shakes out, um, I mean, I'm. Any, e- I mean, even Miami, Ohio isn't bad either, and they've got them at home, you know, this weekend. So that Miami, Ohio game, circle that one this weekend. Circle on the road against Ohio on November twelfth as games to watch for the Broncos. I think those are games that that they might have a little bit more of a test in, um, a little bit more trouble with. But besides that, I mean, they should be able to beat Eastern. They should. They should beat. You know Bowling Green, they should beat Ball State, and they should beat NIU to cap off the season. But if you're a Chippewa, you need a Western loss to even have a chance at, at this. Am Am I? Are we out of? Are we stupid for even talking about this right now? Or no. no, no, no. I don't.
1: I don't think. Me- remember last week, my my Austin metaphor where we were talking about talking about the maple tree, and you're just tap tap tapping to find that potential, that that syrup, that's potential, right? I think I think that I think that hammer's getting a little bit it's getting a little bit lighter. We're you're, you're swinging at it a little a little bit more. I think you're tapping into that potential tree a little bit more, a little bit more as you go. I I, I know. I know. I I I said to myself I wasn't going to do an Austin metaphor, but I did anyway. It's right there. So, fact of the matter is we are not far we're not far off by talking about a potential Mac. Me- West division showdown on black Friday against Toledo. You're staring at me like you're dumbfounded.
0: (laughs) I was just watching to see how long you keep going on that rant. I was just, I was just watching to see, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, I think there's part of you that's crazy Um, just for the analogy. I don't really know how to respond, but no, I mean, I think, I think you make the point. I think you make a good point. In the fact that they have they have tapped into the potential with their hammer or whatever it's called on the tree, however that works, Jim McElwain might have done it. He might have found himself with some maple syrup for his pancakes in the morning, I guess. But yeah.
1: By the way, that was a fifty-second rant from me. By the way, I just looked at uh, I just looked at the monitor. That's a fifty-second rant. But yeah, no. I, I mean, it, it, seriously though, I mean, if if the Chippewas keep playing the way they have been, and they, uh, I guess the way they did against Eastern, and really, I guess the way against Miami too.
0: And I mean, in a way, and I'm not going to say that it was by any by any way acceptable in terms of you know what the coaching staff thought or what alumni thought or what the players feel. But I mean, a little bit. The way they played against Western, too, they moved the ball. They did, just not. They didn't inside capitalize the 20s. on opportunities, and when they had chances to take field goals, they didn't go for it. That changes the whole state of the game. Like I was saying before, man, down seventeen zero or seventeen six at halftime. That is, I mean, this is a much different story. It's widely different, but so. Yeah, I, mean, I think that plays into it, too. Listen, Jim McElwain said they're light years ahead of 2018. I believe him with what I've seen. I, I'm not going to sit here and call this guy a, a phony or a fraud or a liar. He's right. He's right. He has. I mean, there they 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 are light years ahead of where they were last year. And it was bad. And, and you know, if you're a CMU fan and you know anything about the program, you know that's true. They put up 587 yards against a, a, a football team. And it, and it wasn't Helen Keller School for the Blind. Okay, <laughs> I, I mean for real though. Like, think about it. Well, against a competent football team that that can that can that can walk, talk, go out there and play and see they put out 587 total yards. That didn't happen under John Bonamigo. No, probably there was nothing close to that. It would have probably taken six weeks for that to happen. Maybe more. R- you're probably right. <laughs> I mean, r- realistically though, you. You don't bring in any of these new quarterbacks and you have basically your whole roster from last year and that's all you have. There's no way, there is no way that Central Michigan is posting 587 yards against Eastern Michigan. Not happening. Not happening with the old roster. Not happening Happening with the old coaching staff. It's just not happening. It just wouldn't have never happened. Right. Well, and, that's, and I can almost say that from a, a... I can almost guarantee you that. Right. Well, the, the posting
1: 587 yards... Diff- offensively defensively though you only gave up 285 I don't think that happens either
0: like no well, realistically I mean, well, speaking, that, well last year Central Michigan stayed in a lot of games because their defense was really good And I think their defense was still better last year I think the I think the defense is good this year don't get me wrong but I think it has some work to catch up to where it was I mean dude you gotta remember man you couldn't throw on Central Michigan last year with That's those two true. corners you couldn't throw on them and then you had Mike Dana on the edge just you know coming at your throat every time you you hike the football I mean, really, though, their defense, Mike, Mike Dana was good. That's, oh, why he, that's why he went to Michigan. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, he's... So I'll, I'll give it to their defense last year, but it, but offensively speaking, it's it's been impressive. And then the fact that you lost so much from that defense, you lost all three of your starting linebackers, for God's sake. Like, mm-hmm. how do you replace that? But they've done a good job of at least bringing enough back to get the job done. I mentioned it in one of my stories that I wrote. It was uh, the, the one after the game about Central Michigan finding the turning point and being light years ahead and, and kind of going off what McIlwain said. In 2018 Eastern Michigan won the won the game against CMU 17 to 7. The game was highlighted by Tony Poljan's 39 passing yards. 39. 39. 39. David Moore in that game, 15 of 24, 279 yards, two touchdowns, one interception.
1: That's plus 240 right there. And yeah, I think if if I remember right. It was Mike Dana who had, I think, I want to say nope. a seventy-nine-yard yep. fumble recovery for a yep. touchdown. Yep. <laughs> I yep. mean, that's plus forty right
0: there. The point—that's One- the point, though. Oh no, no. That's I'm- the point is oh, exactly. the fact that they had nothing last year offensively, and McIlwain's turned it around, and-, and it's been really impressive to watch. And I think, I think people need to start thinking bowl game. I think it's time. I really do think it's time to think bowl game, and. Don't jump the gun and start thinking you know Mac West champs yet, because again we've still got you know we still got six games to play. But by the time that you know New Mexico State's out of the way and and Bowling Green, and then when you get to Buffalo on October 26th, man, listen, if, if Western Michigan has a loss or they lose a couple players or there's you know who knows what happens there, but if if Western Michigan loses, I mean that that thing is wide open. For Central Michigan to to try to take and and really have a chance to end up at Ford Field, so I think you got to pump the brakes on that a little bit, but definitely something to watch. Do you, you agree on that?
1: Yeah, the MAC West thing absolutely. You, you need to know know it's potentially there, but you need to really, like you said, pump the brakes. But the bowl game piece, oh, it, it, like I I would almost say it's a lock at this point. I mean, yeah, obviously there's there's six. You just games. can't blow it. You just there, can't blow right, it exactly. There's I mean there's a lot of football left, like McElwain said on Saturday. There is a lot of football left to play.
0: I, I think one of the things too that you have to do is you have to make sure that you can do it back to back weeks. Okay. So we saw it against um, you know we, we saw it against them against CMU against Miami when they were able to to put some points on the board and, and keep that game close and, and ended up losing by less than a touchdown. And they they turned in, you know, good back to back performances and then they kinda lost a little bit against western Michigan and now they they found it again. But they haven't had back-to-back wins yet this season, and I think you have to be able to put that that together against New Mexico State. Now the Aggies are zero six. Um, they it's bad. They only score eighteen point two points per game, and they allow forty-two point seven points per game. So from that standpoint, that basically tells you all you need to know. Um, you know, offensively speaking, they they do put a lot of they do put a lot of total yards on the board per game. Uh, two hundred fifty-one point three yards per game um in central michigan's just below 400 in that same category and then in the defensive side of things this is where it's kind of kind of a little bit more shaky with the yards allowed and the fact that i mean new mexico state they uh, they allow 489.3 yards per game and that's not going to win you games and and the Chippewas on defense it's 364.5 yards per game so a clear advantage you know in in terms of the stats obviously that's why you know the chips are projected to win is it a trap game by any sorts, or is there really no way they lose? In New Mexico State, their their quarterback is Josh Atkins. The guy's thrown for one thousand four hundred and fifty seven yards, but six touchdowns against eleven interceptions. Um, you know, their running back, who, I mean, really, you have to, I mean, you have to think about it this way too, man. Their running back who's been their starter, Jason Huntley, fifty seven carries for three hundred and fifty and seventy five yards, excuse me, that was three hundred and seventy five yards and three touchdowns. That's their leading running back, is a guy that that's got those kind of numbers. Jonathan Ward doesn't have as many carries at, at fifty four because of the fact that he was injured, but he has four hundred yards and four touchdowns, I mean he has more yards and more touchdowns. And Ward sat out for what, like three games. So yeah, so or two games.
1: Yeah, well, real. I mean, it really was three games. I mean, he played yeah. what, two two one maybe two series yeah. against Wisconsin.
0: So, I mean, from a statistical standpoint, like there's no way that Central is supposed to lose this game. Well, that's why they're favored by double digits.
1: I mean Yeah. I think I saw you, you said you tweet out that the line originally opened
0: up at nine at and nine. At nine. nine. Uh, yeah. Bad. That yeah. was Vegas yeah, Vegas Insider had it had it at nine to open. Um and that was for the Vegas, you know, that was for the Vegas. They they separate it by two different ways. I don't I don't remember what, what way it is specifically. But when you go to like Vegas odds on football games, they have two different categories. And I haven't done my research on what they are yet. Um, but there is, so there's like an open, you know, the, the open category for like the line and stuff like that. So it's basically the first betting, betting line received from any of the Las Vegas, you know, sports books. So they have the open one. and then they also have, And then they also have one that is just for VegasInsider.com. And so most people will. So what happens is most people will go off of when I and I've done my research. I'm like, what other sports sports writers do because I want to make sure I get the right number, is they go with the open one, the first one received from any you know from from any sports book, right? Sure. And then Vegas Insider obviously puts out one of their own as well um, because you know it's their website and they do they do their research and stuff like that on that. So yeah, it opened as a nine. Nine point favorite from the open book, and then from the Vegas Insider sports book has it at an eleven and a half um, point favorite. Both obviously favoring the Chippewas. So that's a little background into into Vegas. But good to know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I would
1: never have known that. Nice work. Thanks.
0: I try. You do. I don't know too much yet. I'm still working on it. I, I still want to learn a little bit more about about what all that stuff means. I try to you know help my reporting in some way. I don't bet, but I'd like to know. So sure, it's cool. But yeah, that's why they're favorited. Um, any chance they lose? I don't think so. I mean, the the only way they
1: lo- that CMU loses this game is if it just rolls the helmets out there, comes out really flat, doesn't take it very seriously. Um, you know, I I heard that the the last week of practice was a fantastic week of practice. Everybody was locked in. The Western loss was on the mind, kind of like a almost like a pissed off mentality, and then you now you come off a, a dominant win in a game you you technically weren't supposed to win like we had talked about. How do you how do you respond after a win, after something great happens for this team, and you have a a lowly opponent coming in coming into town for homecoming? I mean, I don't I don't see a way that CMU loses this game, really, but it's something to watch for um this week. Is how 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 is practice is is it a good week of practice is it kind of like uh oh kind of like an uh-oh kind of mentality uh from the coaches but um Evan how do you see this one turning
0: out yeah i think it's uh you know a win for the chipwas i you know I, I don't see them i don't see them screwing this one up i'll say that much um there there really isn't isn't much of a way i think the coaching staff understands um to the point where they they get it you know they understand that it's college football team against college football team. Upsets are are born to happen. Remember, I mean this would be, I guess, uh, an, an upset like this for New Mexico State would be like uh, an unranked team beating a ranked team, in this regard. But I think I think New Mexico State. I mean they're they're just really down this year, and and yeah, it might be a trap game. You know, to some extent because they can throw the football around a little bit. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm taking the Chippewas all day every day in this one. I expect them to cover the spread. Mackelway's five and one against the spread. Um, this year, so he he's been able to cover all but once, and that was um, you know, obviously against against uh, Wisconsin when they lost sixty-one nothing. But yeah, McElwain against the spread, he's good. Chips are good. I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, take CMU. I like it. Give me CMU in the points. I like it. I'm and I'm, the points. I'm
1: I'm in the same boat as you, man. Yeah, uh, you got to. Yeah, he, McElwain's been good against the spread. There's no reason to pick against him at this point. Right. Yeah, and I mean the way that CMU's played, I mean, you obviously
0: gotta pick him out right in this game too. You do, you do. Um yeah, how many touchdowns from Ward? How many from uh from Moore? If more starts. You know, who who's gonna be who's gonna be your player of the game? Um,
1: player of the game. I hear it's supposed to be a little cold, a little rainy, might be tough to throw the football. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go uh Jonathan Ward is is the X factor, and he's the player of the game. I think he rushes for 175, two scores, and he has two catches. 175
0: out of the on the ground? I right. mean, respect. respect. One no, 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 no. You, you no, let said me it. back
1: it up. Let me back it up. 175 on the ground, and then he comes out of the game because he doesn't, he doesn't need to play anymore because he's going to be up by a bunch, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go Cole Pimpleton. I think he returns a punt for a touchdown in this game for you know his his first time doing that as a Chippewa in, in his college career. I think he's going to gonna get that job done, and then I also see him catching a touchdown as well. So I'm going to do KP with a punt return and, and a reception for a touchdown.
1: Just a quick note on that. That would be the first punt return for a touchdown since 2009. You know who it was? AB. It was AB.
0: Well, on that note, thank you for joining us for another episode of Maroon and Bold. We don't have Antonio Brown here yet, but maybe maybe he'll want to jump on sometime. But anyway, for me, Evan Petzold, and my co-host, Austin Chastain, we will catch you next time. Remember, Central Michigan football, Saturday, 3 p.m., Kelly Short Stadium. We'll be there for you guys to deliver all the updates if you can't make it out. But if you can, just read our stuff anyway. Appreciate it. Bye, guys.